Hello and welcome to ROE 17 Pod. My name is Mark Jontry and I'm the Regional Superintendent of Schools for ROE 17. On today's episode, our guest is Dr. Josh Olson, the Executive Director of the Livingston County Special Services Unit, often referred to as LCSSU. Dr. Olson has served in education for over 24 years and has been the Executive Director for LCSSU for the past five years. And I'm very excited to have him here today to give his perspective on special education and all that entails. With that, let's get started and welcome Dr. Olson. Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here. Great. First of all, for our listeners, I think there are some that think they know what we're talking about when we just talk about the concept of special education. But really, what are we talking about when we talk about the field of special education? Sure. We're, we're talking about students that have been identified to have a disability that impacts their learning in the educational environment. So we can talk about the process a little bit further in detail, but uh, basically when a student starts struggling, having issues in school, parents, teachers, the whole ser- educational service team gets together, looks at the information and data for the student and determines if they have a disability and then in turn what s- services they may need to be successfully educated. In special education in, in, that, in that realm, in the big picture, hasn't been around all that long in terms of a federal regulate federally regulated concept for lack of a better term special education issues have existed forever but can sure. you kind of speak to that well i mean special education really started in the 70s with the first authorization of the individuals with disabilities education act it's been reauthorized several times since then and and so updated the laws to meet the demands of you know changing information and knowledge about how we what we know about how students learn and develop so that iteration has been redone several times but the basis for it that every child deserves a free appropriate public education um, is the basis for special education and, and therefore when a student no matter what their issue is whether it's academic social emotional cognitive whatever whatever the case may be um, we we work with the family and work with the student to try to figure out the best way to educate that student so in working with the families a lot of times the family the parent might be the first one to notice hey something's not right with my child or sometimes there are screening mechanisms that that identify a student having deficiencies that maybe weren't readily apparent to the parent. Can you kind of talk about that dynamic and how we kind of come to that realization there might be an issue? Well, there's several ways that a student can can kind of get to special education, several paths. One of them starts, as you indicated, screening processes early in early childhood, birth to three initiatives through your doctor, your local pediatrician with regular screenings. They will do, you know, those developmental checklists. That's the, that's the first checkpoint. You know, there are also then public screenings, some of which we host for three to five-year-olds to come in and be screened to see about their readiness for school and if there's a suspicion of a disability at that age we can get them into early childhood programs to make sure they're getting services even before kindergarten and then once they're in school as you alluded the parents sometimes notice a lot of times the teachers notice the bottom line is when someone realizes something's not clicking quite right in the learning process whether uh, like I said it's an academic issue maybe specifically in one or more subject areas or it's a behavioral issue an overall cognitive issue, 
that's when we want to get a team of professionals together, the, the classroom teacher, a special education teacher, a building administrator, psychologists, social workers, anybody that might have information or knowledge to be able to share about the child and start determining what information we have and what additional information we might need to be able to determine if they're eligible for special education services. And then if they are, to write an individualized education program to make sure that they are being educated in the least restrictive environment and in the most appropriate way. Great. You yourself are currently executive director of a co-op, which we'll get into in a little bit, but obviously your rise to that came from the fact that you selected special education teacher as a career. Can you kind of talk about your path? Sure. What was the appeal of being a a special education teacher and obviously then on all the way up the ladder through administration? So I grew up in a small town on a farm and was in 4-H and went to 4-H camp for many years when I was a kid. And our camp was owned privately and we went there for a couple of weeks out of the summer. But what I learned in being a part of that is growing up and then becoming a camp counselor, I ended up getting a job at that camp and working there the entire summer after I graduated from high school. And I started working with students with disabilities, primarily students with with behavioral disorders and emotional disturbances, some of which were court ordered to come to a team building session at our camp. Others voluntarily chose to do that program as a life skills building uh, environment. And I just fell in love with it at that time. I had already decided I was going into education. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a coach. But at that time, that's when I realized I wanted to go into special education and that there was a population of students that when connected with, when given the right resources, you know, they could flourish just like anyone else. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed that. I I was a special education teacher for five years. I, I went into administration after that and have been a building principal, a district superintendent. And, you know, five years ago, the opportunity to go back to the special ed world and lead a special education program, you know, was was put forward. And I've really enjoyed it is uh, I see on a daily basis in our programs, kids having success and achieving things that they didn't know that they would be able to do. You know, I, I, I want to share one example. This morning, actually, we had one of our students get awarded a major award from our the Livingston Area Career Center today. You know, this student has has had a long path, but is now part of that program and received an award for them. And seeing the success that he had and, you know, his teachers and his peers enjoying that success as well, that's the exact reason that I went into special ed and why most people that are in special ed went into it and, and why we enjoy it so much. That's that's awesome to, to have see a student realize that potential. You're the director of a cooperative, a special education cooperative. And as you alluded to earlier, you know, special education services are largely a product of a federal law that's celebrated 50 years not too long ago uh, of being federal law. Can you kind of talk about what it is a cooperative does versus districts that choose to basically have their own standalone special ed program, if you will. And what are the reasons behind that? Sure. So every every school district is mandated to have a, a state certified director of special education. So, you know, a large district, it makes complete sense. That's a full-time job in their district. For a small district with, you know, a few hundred students to maybe even a couple of thousand students, that may not need to be a full-time job in that district, but they need to have a representative hired for their district that, you know, is knowledgeable and certified in the laws and regulations of special education. So that's why the mandate is in place. So school districts can then go together and basically cooperatively hire a director, which is what Livingston County has done in, in hiring me and hire and creating the Livingston County Special Services Unit. In addition to me functioning as the director of special ed for each of the districts, we then facilitate programming throughout the county. You know, we have a our, our school program, which is a 
has two two halves to it basically we have one part that is a, a program for students with emotional behavioral disorders and then we've got another program for students with autism communication issues so you know none of the districts have enough students on their own to, to facilitate a program like that but cooperatively we've got uh, between 55 and 60 students in our program in Flanagan so it makes a lot of sense for us to do that there Additionally, I hire all of the related service providers for all of the districts in the county. So psychologists, social workers, speech and language professionals, occupational therapists and physical therapists. So, uh, you know, many of these students, many of the districts need one day or even a half a day of service. Some of them, some of the larger districts, Prairie Central, Pontiac, for example, might need several days of some of those services. But uh, we hire all of those folks and then they, they go out in teams and work in the districts along with administrators that help facilitate the programs. Obviously, I can't be in all 26 buildings sure. every day. So, you know, we have administrative representation that goes out as well and facilitates those teams and those programs in each of the buildings and districts. So, and the cooperative is really an economies of scale. Exactly. It is really yep. why that, that exists as, as to your, it doesn't make sense economically for them to try to staff all Exactly. That. And so we do have some of our districts that, you know, may, for example, some of them need a full-time speech path. So they will hire their own speech pathologist. And then if they need additional beyond that, maybe they need an additional day or two of service, we'll provide that for them or you know some of our districts need at least one full-time social worker so they'll hire one and then I'll provide additional support as well so they you know when it makes sense that they need a full-time person a lot of times they'll hire that hire that person themselves but when it's part-time they get that service from us and we are able to kind of patch it all together and, and make it fit throughout the county. Since you've come into your current job, we've actually, we, the, the LCSSU board, of which I sit on, has changed our physical location of where we deliver those services that you referenced. And can you kind of talk about the genesis of that, sure. that desire, that move, the why, and, and what ended up being an appropriate facility that we were able to, to find. Yeah, we were really fortunate that we kind of stumbled into this situation. I student taught at LCSSU 25 years ago, and we were in a facility north of Pontiac, the old Esmond School building. We outgrew that facility, and that facility became pretty outdated. And so they moved to Boys and Girls Club in Pontiac, rented some space from them, ended up renting another facility. But over time, rent starts piling up when you're renting a five to ten thousand square foot building and our staff has grown you know the the need for special ed and the services over the last 30 40 50 years have grown significantly so the amount of staff that we employ has grown and so the amount of space we've needed has grown over that time too and before hiring me i know the board had recognized we would like to try to find a facility that we could purchase that we could own that we could invest in rather than just you know dumping money down an endless you know rent trail where you know you're not getting any return for that shortly after i came on the job I actually was approached by uh, a community member of Flanagan that they had the Good Samaritan Nursing Home that had recently been closed. They uh, had built a new facility in Pontiac, so that facility was sitting there. It had recently been vacated, so it hadn't been sitting very long. Uh, the building itself is in pretty good shape, just needed some a little bit of rehabilitation. So 
we went and looked at it and realized, you know, we need kind of two pieces to our program. We need office space for all of the staff that we have, and then we need classroom space for our students. And, you know, putting several of the resident rooms together, we could make a classroom, and then keeping them individual, it was perfect office spaces. So our school is not a traditional school, so it, it looks a little bit different. Our classrooms are much smaller. You know, we have six to ten students probably max in a classroom, so our classrooms are much smaller. So getting the physical space to line up worked really well and you know we were able to get the building for a good price we were able to remodel it for a, for a, a good price and it made a lot of sense you know looking at at over five or ten years we're going to have recouped all of the money that we spent on the facility already and then just have you know annual maintenance fees versus you know what we were spending uh, nearly a quarter million dollars a year on rent so it's turned out to be very fiscally great for for the co-op you know obviously being in flanagan great community and they've been very supportive of us being there it is not in the center of the county so that's probably the one drawback that the board saw but with the opportunity to have that facility available to us it made a lot of sense and and when lcssu was first formed it was actually right outside of flanagan so it wasn't unfamiliar to the districts to be a little bit out of the center of the county and it's worked out really well as you know we've now partnered with the ROE and we have the regional alternative school there under our roof as well. So our districts are making one stop for bringing their kids that ha- that are in different programming, whether it's in our program at LCSSU or the regional alternative school, they're able to come to Flanagan, do one stop and, and drop the students off at both. And additionally, we've been able to cooperatively work in those programs where traditionally those students have kind of had to be separated to either special ed in our program or regular ed, meaning not having an IEP in your program and we found now that sometimes there's students that fit really well in your program but they have an IEP and they need a little bit of service and we can provide that and we've had students that can benefit from your curriculum that are in our program but can can be a part of the RAS program during the day as well and get get some more of your curricular experiences so that's worked out really well as well. No I think it's no I think it's been a, a phenomenal partnership it really has served our both of our needs very well and you know for the listeners if you can think of what a the what a nursing home is laid out like it's a series of wings not unlike you would have in a school and as Josh pointed out just remodeling some some of those smaller residential spaces into slightly larger classrooms still having quote-unquote hallways and sections and that has worked really well in that terms that layout if we have a parent or somebody listening or a grandparent who's concerned about their child grandchild maybe having delays or that what how and they previously haven't been identified or maybe screened or whatever how should they go about maybe sharing those concerns who should they share those I would always with? start with the classroom teacher if that if the child is in school even elementary school high school junior high whatever age level I would start with the classroom teacher and just with a beginning discussion of what are they seeing? Are they, do they have concerns? Kids struggle in school sometimes, and that's very healthy. You know, we, we talk about the learning pit, and one of the things that we talk to, to our kids about, you know, they get frustrated when they don't know how to do something, but that's when they're about to learn. You know, if you come in and you start doing things every day that you already know how to do, you're just practicing, you're not learning anything. So learning and struggling is a good thing, but the classroom teacher generally should know when the, when the struggle is greater than it should be. And so if you're sensing that at home, start with that conversation with the classroom teacher to see, 
am I seeing something greater than, or, you know, worse than should be expected? Or is this reasonable challenge for my student? And, you know, because we do want to challenge kids. We want to push them to their greatest potential. And, you know, kids don't always want to be challenged. So sometimes that's a lot of frustration yeah. and, and, you know, a lot of gnashing of, of teeth at home and whatnot. And we don't want that. But that's a great place to start is, is with the classroom teacher to see kind of where are we at. And if there is suspicion that, there is a greater struggle than should be there, that the student might have a disability in some way that's affecting their education, then you can always ask for an evaluation or ask for the, for the school to, to start looking at those services. If a request is formally you know, submitted by the parent, then it's the district's obligation to evaluate that student for special education services. But just starting that conversation and talking about the RTI, a response to intervention or multi-tiered system of support, those are programs that we start with when kids first begin to have trouble, we put interventions in place to try to, to get them back up to grade level without having to identify them as having a disability. But if that is the case, if they do have a disability and we do need to provide an IEP, then that's then we can look at doing that. So I think starting with the teacher is probably always a really good place. Thank you. When you kind of look out at what the future may hold around special education in general and issues around that um obviously financial is always hanging over every district for the listeners that don't know special education costs are the responsibility of the public school district in which students enroll but what either is it types of disabilities seem to be growing or are there just any general special education topics that you see that are going to be challenges at least in the near future and just to make sure what you said that the cost is the responsibility of the local district it is the bill follows the student however the federal government subsidizes the cost of educating students with disabilities and the state does as well so uh, there are additional resources in place but that you're not wrong there that it does not completely fill the gap with a lot of students you know for some students it does for other students it doesn't so overall there's a cost to special education that's not fully funded outside of the local district so that will always be an issue because we want to give the very best education to the students with the greatest need but there's not always the amount of resources necessary you know physical location you know depending on where you're at access to different programs and services you know we've got a great program in Livingston County for that you know serves a lot of students but there are unique students and unique needs that sometimes we don't have the ability to serve right in our county, so they're having to travel greater distances to get those types of services. That's going to continue to be an issue going forward. You know, one thing I guess that I would say on the special ed front in general related to your question is we are learning more and more about brain development every day and how kids learn. And and I think we in education are becoming more and more experts on that. We used to be focused just on teaching and learning, and I think that topic has broadened, and that's making us better at educating all kids, including special education students. And I think that's gonna be a continuing trend, is being able to look really precisely at data to understand why and how a kid is learning and knowing what types of interventions and instruction we can put in place to best maximize that student's learning potential. I, th I think that's going to be a big focus, you know, going forward for a long, long time. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, uh, Dr. Olson, I want to thank you for taking the time today to 
shed some light on what special education is. For a lot of our listeners, they hear that term thrown around a lot, but maybe have a preconceived notion based either on their experiences, but maybe don't understand the breadth of what It's definitely a lot different than, you know, even when you and I were in school and certainly before that, where it was either special ed or not. And if you were in special ed, you were probably in another room or even another building. And now the greatest majority of special ed students are in the regular classroom with their regular education peers the greatest extent of the day. That's the fundamental basis of the laws. We have to start in there and we only go out from there when we absolutely have to to meet the needs of those individual students. So most of those students are in the regular classrooms with their regular kids. That's a great point to end on. So with that, I want to thank Dr. Olson for joining us for another episode of ROE 17 Pod. To learn more about ROE 17, please visit www.roe17.org or follow us on our social media channels. ROE 17 Pod is produced and edited by Victoria Padilla. We hope that you join us for our next episode.